Welcome to the Sustainability Research Pod, a podcast where you hear about applied research into education and sustainability. This podcast is brought to you by members of the Sustainability Research Group hosted at London Southbank University. This episode is taken from the Sustainability and Climate Action Conference hosted at London Southbank University in January 2021. This episode is titled Migration as a Sustainability Issue in a Time of COVID. Jos Herman, founder and chair of Comit, Sami Araza, trustee and Migrant Help UK, founder of Under One Sky and chair of the Refugee Forum in the largest borough in London, and Amet Sayer, founder and president of the European Migrant Platform, session chaired by Professor Ros Wade. Our next session is going to look at migration as a sustainability issue in a time of COVID-19. Um, I'm joined by my colleague, Ros Wade, um, and Amit Sayer, who, who Amit is the, oh, give two seconds, what are you talking about? The founder and president of the European Migrant Platform. Um, Amit, it's lovely to see you again after we launched the uh, launched the toolkit toolkit for well for for the well-being of um, refugees and displaced people. And I think we did that back in October, wasn't it? And it was such a it was fourth of September, if I'm not mistaken. It's September, yeah. And it was such a fantastic event where I certainly learned so much about kind of um the well-being of refugees and how to how communities can kind of support that transition and 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 the enrichment that it can bring. To, to both parties and really really thrilled that both of you are here today to kind of like elaborate on that a little bit further um, and share that with our audience today. So I'm gonna hand over to you, Ros, if that's okay. Thank you very much, Neil, thank you. Um, yes, I'm Ros Wade and I'm delighted to be here with my colleague, uh, Ahmet Sayer. Um, and uh, I am the chair of RCE London, which is hosted by London Southbank University. Just to tell you a little bit about that, um, the uh, RCE stands for the Regional Centre of Expertise in Education for Sustainable Development. And we've, um, we were accredited by the United Nations University in uh, 2010. So we've been going for just over 10 years. And our remit is very broad, working with uh, all sorts of sectors, bringing them together, whether from communities, policymakers, business leaders, academics, to promote sustainability in all sectors, obviously, as many as we can. Um, we are part of a global network, and um, this gives us some power in terms of dissemination, networking, learning from people in different countries about their experiences and expertise, and has really highlighted to me how much we are enriched by other cultures, other countries, and learning from them gives us mutual benefit because we can share ideas we don't have to um, start from the start from the beginning. We can um, make use of our common humanity and uh, common intellectual knowledge, really, and capacity to to make changes for sustainability. Having said that, I'd just like to focus down now um, on um, what we're going to talk about today, which is about forced migration and uh, sustainability and the links between them. Um, before I go further, I'd just like to give some apologies, apologies from two other panellists who are hoping to be here today, Simon Raza and, <clears throat> and Joss Hermans. Um, unfortunately, owing to unexpected circumstances, they were unable to be here, uh, but they send their apologies and are hoping to receive the recording afterwards so that they'll understand what we've been talking about. So apologies for that. 
Um, but I hope that, uh, oh, and I, I believe that between Ahmet and myself, we'll be able to do justice to this important topic. So I'm going to start with a short presentation, um, looking at sort of migration as a sustainability issue generally. So that will be for about 10, 15 minutes. And then I'm going to um, start a discussion with uh, my colleague Ahmet um, uh, to interrogate some of the, the key issues surrounding um, the, uh, the well-being of migrants and refugees during this time of COVID and how we can address those and work together for our mutual benefit. Just to say a little bit more about RCE London, as I say, we're hosted by uh, London South Bank University. So we're part of the university, but also not part of the university. We're, we're broader than the university. We work closely with a sustainable sustainability research group, which sort of emerged out of the work of the RCE, in fact. Um, and we are involved in the, a lot of the uh, elements of sustainability that are going on in the university. But we have a broader remit, which is uh, working across London. Um, and we have uh, a management committee, which includes three universities, number of NGOs, and the sustainability research group um, chair, uh, Jair Gajpara. All our work is framed clearly by the sustainable development goals, which um, have I highlighted down the bottom. So we, we have that as our aid memoir for everything we do. And our key partners recently have included um, COMEET, which stands for Come and Meet, and it's a fellowship for community empowerment. And we're also working with the Schumacher Institute of Sustainable Systems. So they've been our main partners. And um, one of our key areas of work for the last four years has been on this area of um, migration and sustainability. And I was very privileged to work with Ahmet um, for the last two years on a very, um, very uh, successful project on migrant entrepreneurship, which was mentioned by Thomas, I noticed, called Fresh Start. And we, uh, Ahmet um, was uh, the key, played a key role in, uh, in this work in Belgium, because we had, it was a, co a collaboration between London, Univers South Bank University, um, uh, University in Belgium and a university in the Netherlands. And we worked to, um, to train and empower uh, 125, I think it was, uh, refugees and migrants to um, embrace the uh, entrepreneurial skills and to give them the wherewithal, enable them to take forward their ideas, initiatives into a, a plan for um, further uh, business ed education or for setting up their own business or social enterprise. Uh, and that kind of work framed our thinking really uh, in terms of what um, we, we, we worked on for the migrant toolkit which I'll come back to in a little while. So that was a great learning process because again we learned from each other and was there was great mutual benefit in having um, a group of people some of whom had direct experience of being a refugee themselves and their voices were very powerful in that in that group to enable us to uh, to develop and implement with the help of the participants, obviously, the uh, entrepreneurial program and adjust it to their needs and to um, uh, what's available in the particular business situation of each country. So why is migration a sustainability issue? Well, I think looking at these statistics here, I'm, I think it sort of jumps out at us really as to why it is a sustainability issue. 
we can't have sustainability, can we, in this world, if there are 258 million international um, migrants, many of whom are refugees, and uh, 70.8 million forcibly displaced persons in the world uh, altogether. And this does not include internally displaced persons, which are estimated at 41.3 million. So while there are people being displaced through conflicts, through um, whether internal or external, through uh, uh, climate change or through um, other, other uh, elements that were uh, disasters or, or, or um, other uh, elements, this, this, is, this is not obviously going to be a, going to facilitate sustainability. Now, one, one other statistic here that I think will jump out at everybody is that 85% of displaced people are hosted by developing countries. And that is um, by uh, no, uh, by all intents and purposes, unsustainable, isn't it? 57% of refugees come from three countries, Syria, Afghanistan, and South Sudan. And the top refugee hosting countries you'll see uh, apart from Germany, they're all countries that are resource poor. And although the European Union and other countries have been supporting those um, countries in terms of their refugee, um, their refugee response, in terms of money and aid, it's by no means enough. And a lot of the people in these countries who are refugees are now stuck in refugee camps at a time of COVID where they're unable to socially distance, where all the sustainable development goals that we want to achieve, such as uh, end to poverty, uh, access to fresh water, education, are, all of these are denied to those people. So it's clear to me that migration is a top sustainability issue and needs to be addressed because we need the resources of all these people as well. Uh, it's, it's of mutual benefit to all of us that these, the, the people that are displaced are not just left to uh, linger in a sort of no man's land, but can achieve something, contribute to the societies that they want to contribute to. So it's a big challenge, I think, for all of us. And certainly we cannot achieve the sustainable development goals while we have these uh, great inequalities. Um, increased, increasingly, sorry, <laughs> increasingly now, refugees also are being displaced owing to climate change. And there's a lot of evidence to say that the Syrian conflict actually was exacerbated by climate change in the rural areas of Syria, which meant that many people couldn't afford to live in the rural areas anymore and were pushed into the cities and that exacerbated conflict and led to the current um, unsustainable situation in Syria. But if you go back even as far as 1989, the executive director of UNEP was claiming that as many as 50 million people could become environmental refugees if the world did not act to support sustainable development. Now that's 30 years ago, and we haven't acted well enough to support sustainable development as previous speakers have, have indicated. In 1990, the IPCC declared that the greatest single consequence of climate change could be migration because people will not be able to provide livelihoods for their families because of uh, displacement, because of erosion, coastal flooding, severe drought. This is already happening in sub-Saharan Africa, as we know, and in Bangladesh. And in, mid, in the mid-1990s, 
it was estimated then that there were an estimated 25 million climate refugees. And it's predicted that there'll be between 50 and 200 million climate refugees by 2050. This is a challenge that we can't afford to ignore and we need to address as part of the sustainability agenda. And disappointingly, um, this, this, this issue of migration is given very limited attention in the SDGs. You could say it's, uh, it's included in, in all of them in a way, because it is, um, but it isn't focused on. And I think it does need to have a particular focus by the, the global uh, institutions and national governments in order to address it. So um, what have we been doing about um, these challenges? Well, obviously in our, in our small way, which is a small way, we try, we've been trying to contribute to um, supporting the well-being of migrants and refugees in our countries. And um, just to focus on the work with Comet and RCE London, this was a collaboration to develop a toolkit for community groups promoting the well-being of migrants. And Ahmet was a key uh, participant and team member for developing this toolkit and brought a lot of expertise as a settled refugee himself and part of a group of um, Turkish refugees in um, Belgium, brought a lot of expertise and uh, intellectual theory as well to help back uh, what the, the work that we did. So we have produced a, a toolkit which is um, available for community groups who want to promote the well-being of migrants. It's not directed directly at migrants, it's directed at communities where there are migrants and refugees coming into that community and it's to give them, the communities, uh, a 10-point plan of steps to get started, to develop a culture of inclusion and to enable um, the newcomers to settle and to contribute as they wish to the local community and the local society. The focus is on local action for local communities. And we talk about community empowerment, but as of course we all recognize, there's no such thing as empowering a community. Communities have to empower themselves. So it's about self-empowerment. It's about helping build capacity, giving ideas, um, resources, and in particular sharing examples of good practice from around the world. And this was, um, tackled by a group of uh, an international team of 11 people uh, from 11 different countries, including Turkey, um, including Malaysia, uh, Nigeria, Belgium, and the Netherlands, UK, um, USA. So it was written by an international team, which attempted to bring in um, cultural understanding of uh, and awareness to enable the toolkit to be used in any culture or country by obviously adapting it to the needs of their local um, communities. So it's not meant to be, um, it's not meant to be uh, a blueprint, it's, it's a, an aid memoir, if you like, for people to get started. And it's available freely now from www.comeet.org for any interested person to download and make, get started, make use of. There's links to good practice and there's links to key organizations. And we have started a pilot program um, in Malaysia through the International University there for working with Rohingya refugees um, in communities in Malaysia. We're also calling for 
a number of other pilots and we're looking for feedback because we see this as a process which will be reviewed in about um, probably in about six, six months time so that we are constantly trying to update and improve it and it's part of a collaboration and a piece of co-creation using voices from all around the world and trying to gather the examples of good practice so that we can build on them. Now, how do, um, how do these toolkits support the Sustainable Development Goals and the Global Action Plan? Well, I think it's summed up in the statement at the bottom from the Global Action Plan about societal transformation. So the toolkits aim to empower people to be global citizens who engage and assume active roles both locally and globally to face and to resolve global challenges and ultimately to become proactive contributors to creating a more just, peaceful, tolerant, inclusive, secure and sustainable world. And just to say finally, we have produced this particular toolkit on the well-being of migrants and refugees, um, but COMET itself is uh, an organisation which is actively engaged in supporting communities on a range of issues and there's going to be a number of other toolkits produced in future, one of which which is very relevant to this particular conference, will be on climate action and we'll be working with the Schumacher Institute um, as well as Comet on that one. So thank you very much. I'll stop sharing now and uh, I'll start. Uh, I'd like to introduce Ahmet, um, who, as I say, has been a very valuable colleague and I've learned a lot from him, working with him on the Fresh Start project which was an amazingly innovative project and particularly the Belgian version of the project I think was fascinating because essentially they developed a kind of uh, menu or map of uh, activities which um, migra migrants and refugees could then uh, fashion according to their own needs and I think that was a really innovative way of, of, of taking that forward and they work very closely with um, businesses and uh, banks and others to um, to um, facilitate those those uh, aspirations of those particular migrants. <laughs> okay, I'd like to um, introduce you, Ahmet, and, uh, and do you, would you like to say anything more about your background um, before I start asking you any questions? Uh, thank you very much, and thank you very much for all of you joining us today. And I am Ahmet Sayer, uh, I am from Turkey, and since 2015 I have been living in Belgium. Uh, while I was doing my MA in University of Kent, Brussels School of International Studies, that's a part of University of Kent, and uh, we had to stay in Belgium as some other uh, migrants and refugees due to the political situation in our country, unfortunately. And uh, while uh, I am an auditor previously, and uh, uh, in 2015 it was difficult for us to take a decision to stay in Belgium, and uh, while looking for a job, I find myself in a project for migrants and refugees. And it was nice to be a part of this project and also to work with you, Ross, and uh, definitely we create a very nice project and we inspire and we coach migrants and refugees to find a place in their host societies. And I would like to little mention about the fresh start before talking about the COVID, because I think we also uh, stress some important points before the COVID situation, because now we are all talking about COVID, how COVID impacts our lives, but just before the COVID situation, and there were many nice initiatives, and uh, both international and uh, national, and uh, 
just before the crisis, integration had in, improved on many fronts before the pan, uh, before the crisis, and also in all OECD countries except uh, Turkey and Colombia, migrants were more successful in finding and keeping jobs over the past five years, and also attitudes toward them in migrants had been improved in most countries uh, over the past decade. And also educational outcomes of the children of the migrants had also improved in since 2015. There were many positive improvements just before the uh, COVID. And unfortunately, the COVID uh, infect many of us and mostly the vulnerable groups, in, including the migrants. And uh, in our projects, as uh, Ross, you mentioned, in Prestar project, uh, we inspire migrants and we push actually it's a nice to connect with migrants and to engage them, to help them to, to understand their situation and their needs. And I think the experience that we gain in our press step project push us to create this toolkit. And that's a very nice toolkit that we help local authorities, how they connect with the migrants, how they can find, how they can put into, uh, take into consideration of the cultural issues of the migrants while connecting with them. And, uh, uh, I am happy that I involved in several EU projects, uh, which is uh, for migrants and refugees. And currently, uh, and also the network that I have uh, gained in during these projects and uh, pushed me to start a new initiative. And, and also as an established migrant, and uh, I feel that we have to take more initiative in the host societies, in our near societies, and to, to be a part of the solutions of the several problems, and also to help newly established migrants, newly migrants to establish in their new country and also to guide them to share our experience and expertise both with locals and also to guide the refugees. And uh, with a group of established migrants, we set up European Migrant Platform and uh, we want to be a voice of the migrants and we want to help migrants their integration, both economic, political and cultural integration of the society. And uh, okay, thank you very much. And thank now I think we can uh, talk about how COVID affected migrants. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> yeah, thank you very much, Ahmed. You see, uh, yeah, you demonstrated very well there the, the huge expertise and experience you've got and great initiative. And I think that's one of the things that's very significant <laughs> about um, migrant communities. There, there's, uh, because I suppose of their experience, they've had to build up a lot of resilience and uh, kind of hard-headedness in a sense and, and innovation and creativity and you know we, we all need that to share that with each other um, and we've uh, got, a, got a lot to learn and mutual benefit to be to be uh, gained so yes um, COVID, but as you said as you sort of hinted at um, Ahmed COVID-19 has had a huge impact on on all of us um, we're all kind of sitting here now locked, locked down in London for example um, but in particular on migrants and refugees who are in a vulnerable position uh, anyway. Would you like to elaborate on some of those? And I think we should talk about uh, some important issues, uh, which uh, especially the migrant has been uh, mostly affected. And one of the important issues is the migrant health. And I would like to give some statistics about uh, how uh, migrants have been affected during the COVID. And, uh, According to statistics, and around 30% of the migrants live in relatively poverty in the OECD, comparing the 20 of the native born. And also they are most likely to live in substandard accommodations and also twice as likely in overcrowded dwellings. And also 
migrants are living in the poor housing conditions and which is increased the infection uh, illness and also especially uh, uh, they are mostly cohabiting uh, living cohabiting families alongside uh, pouring house migrants are also uh, likely to live in higher density buildings and neighborhoods and which also makes the respect of the social distance more difficult if you live in a crowded area in a huge building and also uh, um, yeah one of the uh, result of the, one of the research of the University of uh, Bielefeld uh, found that comparing with other forms of uh, housing, collective housing and for asylum seekers and uh, refugees increased the risk of the COVID transmission in case of first positive diagnostic by 17%. So, and uh, the, the living conditions of the refugees and migrants is really uh, risky for the being, being uh, and both for transmission of the COVID and also for themselves. And also, uh, as we know, migrants, they, uh, they use public transport more than the other people. So that's also a little bit risky for them. And, uh, and also their job, and they are concentrated in the as, uh, essential occupations uh, that they cannot do their job from the home. And uh, they are less likely to be able to telework uh, in, in most uh, areas. And, uh, and also, um, yeah. There are lots of and issues, and we, we, due to the time, we, we I don't want to uh, talk more about. But I would like to say and uh, say something about uh, policy reactions to mitigate the health impact on the migrants. And I'm happy that many countries they took some precautions and they also helped migrants to overcome the situation and for their well-being and also for their health. And for example, in most OECD countries. They offer free access to necessary treatment related to COVID-19, irrespective of the, their status. And also a number of the countries also launched specific information campaigns for migrants. And especially newly established multilingual website allow migrants uh, to understand that, uh, and also to update information about the COVID. Because the, 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 especially for the newcomers, their language level is not enough to understand the COVID uh, precautions and also uh, the other uh, issues. So it's important to set up a multilingual website. And also social media is a very significant element in uh, in that situation. And uh, uh, we, we realize that social media has been effectively used during the COVID to reach more people and also uh, to create specific uh, social media groups for the migrants that they can understand their, uh, their, their in different languages for their um, mother tongue maybe, and also uh, respond their questions. Uh, in addition to online communication, and we realized that intermediaries um, uh, such as local authorities, NGOs play an important role, increasing the outreach of the national government information as well. And that's, I can say about the health. And also another important uh, uh, issue is the impact of the migrants on the, um, uh, the impact of the COVID on migrants' labor market outcomes. And uh, as we know, migrants face many particular vulnerabilities in current market situation. Not only migrants, but all of us has been affected with the situation. Uh, I would like to give some uh, specific information about how migrants has been affected. First, the migrants tend to overrepresented among employees with temporary contracts, and also 
uh, they tend to have lower seniority and are all represented in the cyclical sectors. And that makes uh, their situation worse than other people. And also permit conditions may also enhance their vulnerability in terms of job loss. And if they don't allow to change their employees of a profession. So some people, if they, their work permit don't allow to change their profession, so it's a big risky when they lost their job. Uh, more generally, uh, employers tend to more selective during the uh, suck labor market conditions and, and also during the economic crisis, it's really difficult for migrants to find a job and even their CVs are not uh, synchronized and are not uh, read maybe by the recruiters. That's another issue. And, uh, and also migrants also have a fewer networks to find a job and because uh, in the European market, it's very important to have a network to find a job. So migrants also have a, uh, this problem as well. And uh, some other factors that specifically enhance migrants' labor markets, uh, uh, as I said, after the following high record of the uh, inflows of the migrants, of refugees, and uh, especially in their five, uh, first five years, uh, it's very important for them to find a job, to settle their own business and to find their way. But this COVID hit their situation, especially in, uh, for migrants who just arrived in past years. Mm. And also uh, the pandemic particularly affected employment in a number of service sectors, which were, uh, which, uh, where migrants are lar largely uh, overrepresented especially hospitality and security and cleaning service are mostly doing uh, by migrants. So they, they have been affected in that area. And uh, not only migrant employees, but also self-employed people tend to find difficulties and in that current situation. Now, having said that about the problems that they face, now I would like to say something about the policy response. What, have, what has been done for migrants to overcome this difficult situation? And there are some good news for both migrants and for all people that we are happy to see that uh, the governments, most of the governments, they took uh, many precautions and they took uh, several issues for overcoming the situation. And, and some of the initiatives and some of the uh, works, uh, the precautions really work. Uh, and uh, for example, many countries have extended permits and uh, removed obligations to leave and prevent legally staying immigrants from falling into irregular situation. I think that's very important for whom who has a work permit. And some countries automatically extended and renewed permits of a certain period of time. And this is also important for migrants who are staying a period of time. And also a number of OECD countries modify their access to and duration and unemployment benefits. Normally, uh, in order to benefit unemployment, we have to work in certain period of time and maybe for some over 40 years, for example, in Belgium, he has to work 465 days. So it's difficult for migrants who just arrived two years ago. So uh, Belgium, for example, included COVID-19 pandemic within its temporary unemployment to the force majeure regime. It's very important. And even a person who just find that job a day before the situation and he can benefit from the unemployment. That's very important, I think. And also many countries also introduce support measures for employers and businesses who set up their own business, who 
need funding and also need subsidies. And uh, as I told you before, policies also extend working right of the other this I think that's also important. For example, uh, asylum seekers in their first four months, they are not allowed to work. So they have to wait four months and then they can find that they can work. But uh, after the COVID and uh, now, if they find a job, they can immediately uh, start working. That's also significant for newly arrived refugees and migrants. And also, uh, lastly, many uh, OECD countries have adopted policies to ensure faster labor market access for uh, foreign health professionals already in the country. I think that's very significant because the procedure of the recognition of their diploma and the language level is very buried and is a long uh, way. So uh, that's important. Many countries, they just facilitate and they accelerate the, their recognition of diploma and to actively take a role uh, to fight against the COVID and to, to also do something for the uh, health sector. And, uh, and also, finally, I would like to say Germany, for example, has implemented a number of specific support measures for migrant entrepreneurs, uh, including online platform with information on available crisis support measures in five languages. I think that's important, uh, especially for uh, migrants. And also provide a network and dedicated casework to support migrants. Uh, align uh, migrant business in all federal states and including with respect to uh, filling applications of the state. That's very important because people, they don't know how to apply subsidy, how to apply the, fill the form. So that's important in five languages, they can fill the form and apply for the subsidies. That's the, about much, the labor market and also have, maybe yeah, we can talk about other issues. Yeah, <clears throat> that, yeah that was a very, um, very full response. Thank you very much for that. And it's interesting to note that uh, some countries are responding quite positively to addressing the needs of migrants during these COVID times. <clears throat> I'm afraid to say I don't think our country is in the UK, but uh, there we go. And um, I feel that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of um, very uneven from country to country. But clearly, COVID has shown us anything. It's shown us that we're all in this together and we can't get out of it without helping each other. Um, one thing I think um, in the UK has been highlighted that in many of the most important roles we've got in society, in the caring profession, in the cleaning profession, in the health professions, in the transport professions, we, we depend on people from migrant backgrounds. And, you know, we are a rich sort of uh, cosmopolitan country, a glo global universe now. So it's, it's of mutual benefit to address and support needs of all in our society and we can all gain hugely from each other i think um, to pause what you to pause in the in the um, input maybe we'll take a few questions shall we now ahmet yeah uh, we have got a few questions coming in i think um yes there's uh let's see uh oh there's one um one here what practical ways can we help migrants to get support for example, in contraception, maternity, um, et cetera, and which countries are having the best impact? I don't know if that's one that you could address in, within the health um, area, Amit. Mm. Is that something um, that you'd be able to answer? Based on my experience in Belgium, I think uh, in all organizations and local organizations, they are very welcome. And when you ask them the question and when even they reply your email very quickly and I'm happy that they are very 
positive uh, when you uh, ask a question and when you ask help. And uh, I haven't read in details about other countries, uh, but I think most countries are very sensitive because uh, comparing other economic crises, this crisis, as you mentioned, we are in the same uh, mm. We are together and uh, mm. migrants are not, you know, uh, there is uh, less positive, less negative uh, per, uh, perception about the migrants. Normally during the migrant economic crisis, people, uh, they lose their job and they start criticizing and uh, uh, migrants and uh, that's normal. And uh, we know from the previous financial crisis, but now in that crisis, uh, although we don't have a scientific uh, research uh, about the perception, but till now there is no big, you know, uh, demonstration against the migrants or, uh, mm -hmm. and also people are appreciating migrants, their contribution in the uh, several yeah. sectors. And uh, I'm happy to share that the first vaccine uh, developed by the migrants, yes. couples, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a very uh, good news for migrants, and if we give chance to the migrants, and as you see, they be a part of the big solution, oh. they create a big solutions, and so that's very good news for migrants. Uh, but uh, maybe we, I can later make research and also check whether is there any good uh, practices, and I can share. Ah, thank you very much. Well, I think those uh, that couple that um, invented the Pfizer vaccine they were turkish settled refugees weren't they yeah, or yeah, from a family yeah, yeah, that were yeah so fantastic as you say a huge resource that we we can all share in the, the whole world is benefiting from that so that's just um, uh, amazing and i think to go to go back to this question just um from my point of view i think we have a section in the toolkit actually we have a number of themes and one of them is on health so um to whoever asked the question i think one of the things we can all do is to to help um, make it easier to find the support. I think one of the perhaps difficulties for people arriving newly in a country, they don't know where to access support or which phone number to ring or how to get it. So making that easier and enabling those support services to be um, uh, accessible, I think that's one of the things we can all do to, to, to help to make that clearer. And also most of the migrants, they ask the migrants that they already established migrants and mm. uh, they, 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 I think that's very important that we mm. give more chance to for established migrants to, to, to mm. cooperate with the locals because if I need a question, I can directly ask in my several WhatsApp group and I can immediately <laughs> receive an answer yes. in the two minutes. So that's very nice and we are using social media very effectively and I think my, uh, for example, if someone need a language course and if someone need a school uh, and also if someone need a insurance, come, uh, what, 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 which one is the best, for example, for him, there are lots of information migrants they share with themselves and they also help newly arrived migrants to to facilitate mm. their life. Absolutely, that's a huge important role, isn't it, for settled migrants to support new new arrivals particularly from their own country, because there's a language, common language as well, that can, can, can assist. So the, the role of settled migrants is really important, isn't it? Let's just see what, there's another, there's another question here. Uh, how can migrants communicate with the indigenous population um, to access opportunities to learn migrants' languages? So sort of reverse of uh, ESOL, so that how, how can, how could that happen and, and is that is that happening already and can that be, be facilitated? Any thoughts on that, Ahmed? Actually, uh, 
I was also planning to talk about the uh, uh, impact of the COVID on the language learning and mm. what policies, what measures has been taken. Maybe uh, I should give first the information about the challenges that migrants face and then answer the question okay. with lots of examples. Thank you very much for the question who asked, I don't know. And uh, for many migrants, especially uh, recent arrivals, COVID meant a disruption of the language courses for them. And also most of the countries were forced to end in person integration courses and also language courses and also put all courses on online. And currently in Belgium, most of the language courses are online. And uh, across to, for example, uh, OECD, volunteer organizations with language and integration missions also has to pause uh, their operations because COVID, due to the COVID, they also have been affected and they, they are not allowed to go to their office maybe, and they also uh, pause their uh, activities. And also uh, a break in language learning places some migrants as a significant disadvantages. And the first five years after arrival is a critical, as I mentioned before, time spent as migrants need to acquaint themselves with the public institutions and response available services. So that's a very important. And if you not your language is not a certain level and you have a lot of difficulties to benefit from the services and also to even to help your kids their school homework and also uh, some other issues. And uh, specifically migrants uh, with a low initial level in the host country language are uh, thus particularly affected by the program shutdowns, in, uh, including in terms of employability and broader social integration. Uh, as you know, language is one of the significant elements of the integration. And if you can't speak language and you cannot communicate with your neighbor and you cannot uh, integrate society and you cannot, uh, that, that's a big barrier. So the language different, uh, is very important. And what has been done till now for the language and variety actions uh, has been uh, taken for improving the language of the migrants. For example, some countries setting up online language mentorship programs and support tutorials with native speakers, uh, collaborate with the lo lots of organizations, NGOs. And also, uh, I think one of the significant outcome of the crisis, we learn how to uh, create an innovative way to uh, find the digital and distance learning sector. I, as I see many migrants and many uh, organizations Many migrants are very happy with online courses and many organizations, they quickly adapt themselves to deliver the language courses on online courses. And I see teachers, even they also they, uh, improve themselves and to be more prepared for the online courses. And, uh, <laughs> and also some countries, they provide devices because migrants, they don't have a, uh, maybe they don't have a computer and uh, to follow the language courses. So for example, in Belgium, Migrants who don't have access to necessary equipment to follow the online courses receive device from their responsible agencies. I think that's a very nice. And uh, in one of, in one of the project, I think uh, they delivered 500 laptops to the students, for example, who need uh, who don't have in their places. Uh, that's we can say. And also uh, for the maybe. We have to also talk about education of the children of the migrant, which is also significant uh, because, yeah, especially during the uh, COVID, you know, most the number of the distance learning solutions like uh, classrooms and broadcast computer-based learning 
has been a solution, but uh, many students they are not uh, ready for this, and especially uh, students who who doesn't have enough space in their uh, house, for example, who doesn't have enough technical support, and also uh, it has a difficulty for engaging learning, and also family with low social level they can't support their kids at school and these all are problems for uh, students and also that i think uh, many countries try to solve this problem and uh, took some precautions and uh, uh, for example they support family and uh, they also cre create some online course after the school and uh, they support uh, students to keep up to the, the, their peer view in the country. That's I can say about language and education. But I think we have a time. Yeah, the question. Uh, the time? question. Yeah. The question was from uh, Ernestine, and it was about how can um, migrants share their language skills with the host community. I think. I think that's what she meant. Are there opportunities for that? Is that happening now, or is COVID, has COVID kind of put an end to that? Maybe. Based on my experience, I know some uh, refugees and migrants. They also create some online courses to oh. deliver their language, for oh, their language. Right. And in Belgium, I know one of our participants from the Fresh Start. Now mm. he has a uh, maybe 15 students, and he oh. delivering the uh, Turkish. He teaches the Turkish course, and these are these uh, parts. You know, uh, he previously was a uh, Turkish literature teacher in uh, Turkey. Now. He is a professionally giving the courses online course. <laughs> I think, uh, especially through the Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups mm -hmm. and Instagram, people they share, and you can easily reach. A, if you are looking for, a, for example, uh, Turkish, I can provide you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there are lots of information on in social media, so you can easily mm -hmm. find uh, some. Yeah. I'll I'll get back to you on that possibly, Ahmed. I've, okay. I've read quite a few Turkish novelists, and they're very. Some very impressive literature comes from Turkey, so but I don't think I'd ever mastered the language well enough to to read it in the original language. I'll just see if there's some more questions. I think there's one or two more. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, uh, there's one here from Lynn Vickery. Given the UK in post-Brexit era, how do you feel migrants hoping to reach the UK will view the UK as a destination? Um, I think that's, I certainly feel that they probably will probably, um, that, that they probably won't regard it in so positively. But on the other hand, if people really want to come to the UK and they have family in the UK uh, and they speak the, the, uh, the language rather than the language of the country they're in, then they probably still will seek to come to the UK, but it's clearly going to be more and more difficult. It's, it's proving almost impossible just for lorries to bring in food to the UK at the moment. So I think it's going to be more and more challenging. Do you have anything to add to that, Ahmed? I think, uh, yeah, each country has a different uh, context. And uh, I think uh, migrants and refugees before start their journey, they already make some research which country is best fit for them. And uh, so, UK also is a, one of the destination country, and uh, mm. I know some Turkish migrants and refugee community there, and uh, they they all they also invite me to the UK <laughs> from there. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. 
maybe one day. One well, day. you've been, you, you, you've been, you've been to the UK, but yes, because uh, we've met you in London, haven't we, when you came to work with us on the Fresh Start project? But yeah, it's not. Yeah, not yeah, always... yeah. Maybe after getting my uh, Belgian passport, yeah, it's not difficult. If I find a job in UK, maybe I can move for a couple of years. I, I have been there before yeah. and for the uh, three months. Mm. I'm very familiar yeah. with it. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, the UK has a very hostile attitude towards migrants at the moment, owing to the particular political party that's in power. But um, we hope that won't be for too much longer, but we'll have to see. Um, other questions? Yes, I've got another question here from Hugh. Could you identify the biggest challenge you had when developing the migrant toolkit? And how did you overcome it? Um, what would you say to that, Ahmed? What was the biggest challenge we had in developing the toolkit? I think the big, biggest challenge was uh, to make an uh, need analysis and their necessities and which topic we should put for the answer mm. the questions. Especially, mm. you know, the local uh, authorities, local communities uh, need a guideline that uh, to help migrants and refugees. So we we use our experiences each oh. of the member of the uh, uh, toolkit, they use their expertise and their uh, their first-hand information. Most of us, you know, we deal with the refugee and migrants, and we try to understand their situation and try to understand their needs, and then we create this toolkit. I think we cover nearly all topics and the near, nearly all level of the integrations uh, of the migrants. Yeah, we've got. As, a, as well as the toolkit and the general introduction and general themes about developing a community group, there's a whole series of themes to the toolkit on health, on um, inclusion, a welcoming suggestion, uh, and work, uh, the natural environment, um, on finance. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. There's, as we, as you say, we cover most of those on language learning, education. We cover all those. Um, I'm not not to say it's the definitive answers, but it's it's kind of a how to do, how to find out, what do you do about, what are the key issues that come up for newcomers in a society, and um, I think they can be relevant for any newcomers, to be honest, whether they're migrants or just moving from north to south of a country. So, um, but they're they're there for people to to make use of, and we've tried to devise them in such a way that they're easily accessible, and there's examples of good practice, there's links that people can. Uh, find out more from, and there's um, there's kind of case studies of, of of like successful community projects in different countries from all around the globe. And another another thing we did, I think, in, that, that enhanced the the toolkit was we once we'd got a draft of it, we sent it out to um, Comet ambassadors all around the world, so in the United States, um, Africa, and uh, Indonesia uh, for their comments. And uh, so we could refine it on the basis of people who were working with communities on the ground in those different countries. So I think it's a pretty substantial piece of work and uh, we hope it's going to be very useful. As I say, we have got one pilot going on in Malaysia. We're hoping for more pilots in different parts of the world. And we, we do hope that some of the participants here will go onto the website, www.comeat.org and download it and please uh, disseminate it, send it to people who you think might find it useful, make use of it yourselves, and please do send us your comments on that. So that would be um, really helpful. That's something we'd ask everybody to do because we've, we've, we've produced it now. Clearly it's a time of COVID, so it's quite hard to go out and about with it. 
but we can send it out through the internet and we can enable and encourage other people to use it and to get um, developing uh, a, a, a sort of culture of inclusion in your particular countries. Um, okay, any, any further questions? Let's have a look. Um, I think there's just one further question here, uh, which is about uh, the 10 point plan. Um, what, what, what say a bit more about the 10 point plan? Um, well, the 10 point plan is really about how do you start up a community group? Um, you start from whoever's there. So whoever's there it might be just one or two people concerned about something, in this case, well-being of migrants, get together, what are we going to do? And it's giving guidelines for that sort of small group to develop into a larger group. It's got a set of sort of guidelines for working together as a group, advice, tips and suggestions as to how to take that further, how to develop a project and a programme and uh, to develop sort of mutual co-learning um, group that will help and support each other and will bring in all voices um, relevant to um, address a particular issue, in this case, well-being of migrants and refugees. And so um, we're, we're kind of hoping that's going to help kickstart people's uh, activities. Comet is also developing um, a coaching section. So for people who want more support, there are going to be a number of opportunities to get coaching from Comet uh, fellows to take groups forward and to help and support and mentor them. That's not quite established yet, but that's something we're looking to um, create in the future. Anything you want to add about that, Ahmet, about the 10-point plan? Uh, I think 10-point plan is very significant. You can apply in any group, any community of practice, and mm. it's not only for the migrants no. and refugees, and it's very, very nice. And I think our toolkit also can be modified for different groups, for different yes. target groups. And I am happy to share that uh, recently with uh, uh, 10 partners from seven countries, now we start creating a proposal for the uh, MIF call, uh, asylum integration call that EU, uh, that's the EU commission call. And now we are creating a proposal and we are um, uh, using our toolkit and I hope we'll uh, our project will be fund, get funded and we have a chance to implement toolkit in seven different regions and to, to also uh, share with many uh, stakeholders and also local authorities and to have a see how it works in the uh, locals and uh, that's we today we have a meeting in the morning okay. with the seven partners uh, that's a new uh, initiative and uh, I hope yeah, we will create some other initiatives to implement the toolkit. That's very exciting, Ahmet, and I think that's uh, that, that would be, you know, really a brilliant outcome of, of, of uh, the whole project. And as, as you say, will enable it to be disseminated and used in a number of different countries. And uh, that would give us a lot of interesting feedback. So I do hope that uh, comes to fruition. And uh, obviously, you know, I know you're working with Comet to some extent on that. And, and, Hope, uh, you know, if I can help in any way, let me know. I'm very happy to give support to that. And I think the uh, global RCE network would prove a very good um, area for disseminating it more widely, um, any work that comes out of that. So that's great, brilliant. I just see there's a one more question here. Um, oh, there's a couple more questions actually. There's one about funding. Do, 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 do we think that coming out of the EU has affected funding for migrants? So I think that's particularly relevant to Actually, the, 
Yeah. Yeah. The recent call, uh, which is which has a uh, six topics. Oh. I think that's very important. I would like to. Maybe we have. A, if someone interested, I think uh, there is still enough time. Uh, nearly one month, and there are six topics, uh, which support uh, uh, asylum, migration, integration uh, policies of the EU. And uh, for example, the topic one is developing and implementing local integration strategies through multi-stakeholder partnership that we are currently writing. And the others, reducing obstacles and promoting access to basic services for third country nationals. And also another one, I think it's very significant, promoting the participation of the migrants in design and implementation of the integration policies. I would like to also share something about uh, recently EU created an uh, expert group uh, which uh, has a migrant background. And I think EU select 24 experts from 16 uh, countries of EU, which has an origin uh, of country also represent uh, the whole uh, migrants. And it's very significant step that uh, EU encourage and also benefit from the migrants uh, for designing and implementing of the policies in the uh, at EU level. And uh, we will see what will be their results, but I'm happy to, uh, to see that EU take a further step for integration of the migrants in the whole societies in the EU countries. That's very good to hear. Unfortunately, the UK is not now part of the EU, so we can't participate in that. So that's another loss as a result of Brexit. And I see there's another question here, which is asking us whether we've sent a copy of the toolkit to our Home Secretary. Um, that's probably, well, we haven't, but whether it'd be worth sending it to her, I don't know, because she she's very hostile to any immigrants despite the fact of coming from a migrant background herself. Um, she's one of the most hostile people that I've ever ex experienced um, with regard to migrants and refugees. And, uh, and recently the, the uh, UK I know has reneged on, on an, a promise to, um, to support refugee children in coming to the UK. So we have a terrible record here. So yes, we could send her a copy, sort of a bit of irony, I think, whether, whether we'd get any response, I don't know. But it's, Worth a try. So thank you, Hugh, for your suggestion. <laughs> also, maybe um, we should attend some international conferences, just uh, introduce toolkit because I'm happy to receive a feedback from uh, our partners and they are very happy that they said, wow, it's fantastic and you cover everything and it's very nice to, to for locals because they don't have enough budget, enough time to create some yes. tools. Some, I, I'm happy that uh, to receive this uh, positive feedback. So maybe we should take more active role to promote uh, and disseminate the toolkit together. Yeah, I think that's a very good suggestion, a conference around the toolkit itself, bringing in international partners. Let's think about that one then. Thank you very much, Ahmet. I think we're coming to the end of our time, so I don't know if, Neil, you've got any more points you want to address or um, any questions you want to no, I'm just just to just to kind of like, um, you know, reinforce the fact that, you know, when we when we launched the toolkit, back in back in September the 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 event was such a warm feel good positive event you know as as we kind of like discussed the production of the toolkit and the responses um are you happy to share some of kind of like the um some more of the responses that you've had from the toolkit yeah i mean i think uh, ahmet's just shared some there do you want to add anything more there ahmet yeah I'm happy that we are now implementing, we are creating the, the proposal and uh, we use our, uh, as a main reference, uh, toolkit will, is our main reference. And I think uh, 
people, yeah, we, Ross, you remember we make a, some research about the good practice, and uh, I haven't seen any toolkit that covers all levels of the integration. I mm. think that's very important, and uh, we should promote and we should share more, especially locals. And uh, maybe we should think about uh, translate uh, in different languages. Yes, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, we've had a, everyone we've sent it to, actually, has been very, very positive, And it's gone to um, organizations such as UNESCO and uh, uh, UNIVOC. Um, it's gone to a number of universities all around the world where people are working with migrants and refugees. It's gone to small community groups. There's uh, an organization. Um, in Portugal, which works with rural communities, so it's gone there and there. Some some of them are making use of it in terms of um, sections and, and adapting it, obviously, to their own situation, um, because that was the whole idea of it in the first place. Uh, so it, it's it's a, it's opened up a wealth of possibilities, I think, and that was the idea that you know you don't need to wait for local government or government directives to change your society. You can start from where you're at with your own community to get going and uh, address some of these issues. You may have to at some point bring in local government and get them to do stuff, but you start with where you're at. And, and this is hopefully a, a, an aid memoir to enable people to do that. And it is such, it does take such a holistic approach to it as well. And I think that, you know, when you, all of you shared your passion and your own experience into it and that shines through and that a lot of that really reflects what Craig was talking about yesterday when he talked mm. about kind of like um social justice global responsibility mm. um and the uh, and around the SDGs and it this this really does support so many aspects of the SDGs mm. yeah absolutely it's about social justice and environmental justice that were brought together really Absolutely. And I think that's uh, it. Really, it really um, represents the sort of intersection of all the re all the, all the SDGs, SDGs. It's very hard to pick them out, and we all know they all interlink and they all overlap. But it's part of a global partnership for change. Perhaps SDG 17 um, it demonstrates that perhaps more than anything. The fact that this is a, a global initiative from, uh, as I say, 11 different countries represented on the, on the toolkit team, which was essential and really important. To, uh, to have that. And the fact it's being used in different contexts as well already. So that's very exciting. We look forward to getting more feedback and reviewing it in a few months time. So that will be the process goes on. We're not just right. We haven't just done it and then put it on a website. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an action process, really. It's something to be used and to be disseminated. And there's already, as you see, a huge legacy in the fact that our Met has brought together all these different people from different countries. Uh, in seven different countries to um, to apply for some uh, a new project which will actually make use of the toolkit. So that's very exciting. No, it's it's you know it's 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 a working living uh, piece of art piece of art actually, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know it's in, it's incredible. And um, I I look forward to hearing more progress about it and um, more of those case studies. And hopefully we can you know as we go and evaluate it and look to, look to yeah. it, we can probably ha um, host another event. Um, looking at the success of the toolkit, maybe you know, a few months on. That would be great. That would be great because yeah. hopefully it's a, it, you know it's like planting an acorn or so throwing a throwing a, a pebble into a pond with the ripples go out and you hope. Maybe I should uh, initiate a uh, you know webinar on toolkit through our organization and to invite many partners and stakeholders. And in advance, I will send the commit uh, our toolkit and then uh, invite them. Maybe we will discuss and. Uh, okay.
group of experts together. Okay. I'd, I'd be happy to work with both of you on that again. It was say the first event was a pleasure to work on. I'm really happy that you're part of this event. And similarly with the toolkit, um, this event series, you know, yes, this is the this is the closing of the event series, but it, it really is. We want it to be. We want this to be used and a source of a source of knowledge and expertise for all about for all of our speakers have have shared. So thank you for being part of that. Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks for organising thank it Thank you. Thank you, Ahmet, for your great contribution once again. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us, Ahmet. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sustainability Research Pod. This is one of a series of podcasts where members of the Sustainability Research Group, hosted at London South Bank University, share their work and work with others in the sustainability field. Please share and subscribe to wherever you find your podcast to automatically receive more episodes.